Welcome to the November 10th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll learn more about the impact of dietary methionine restriction on the progression of AML, discuss transferrin upregulation as a cause of high-altitude-induced hypercoagulability, and learn more about the protective effects of leukemia inhibitory factor against graft-versus-host disease. Our first blood article is entitled, Dietary Methionine Starvation Impairs Acute Myeloid Leukemia Progression, by Alan Cunningham, from the University Medical Center Groningen in the Netherlands, and an international group of colleagues. Acute myeloid leukemia, or AML, is a highly heterogeneous disease caused by mutations in hematopoietic stem or progenitor cells, or HSPCs, that lead to the formation of leukemic stem cells, or LSCs. Currently, the standard of care consists of an induction regimen with chemotherapy followed by consolidation therapy and or stem cell transplantation. This treatment is effective in targeting the blast population, but fails to effectively eliminate LSCs, which is why most AML patients experience relapse. The management of AML is challenging because multiple genetically distinct subclones can co-occur in individual patients. The genetic heterogeneity of AML is also reflected at the metabolic level, with different mutations influencing the levels of specific metabolites. This metabolic reprogramming has been shown to play a role in AML onset, progression, and therapeutic resistance. Among the many pathways that are reprogrammed in AML, amino acid metabolism has attracted the most attention. Research to date has shown that leukemic stem cells have an overall higher level of amino acid metabolism compared to leukemic blasts. Moreover, normal HSPCs and their leukemic counterparts, including LSCs and treatment-resistant AML cells, have different amino acid dependencies. For example, HSPCs require valine for proliferation and maintenance, while LSCs and treatment-resistant AML cells rely on cysteine and glutamine to fuel the tricarboxylic acid cycle and oxidative phosphorylation. In the current study, the authors performed an amino acid dropout screen in AML and identified dietary methionine removal as a potential therapeutic strategy. They conducted a series of amino acid depletion experiments on AML cell lines, primary leukemic stem cells, and progenitor populations, to search for dependencies on specific amino acids. Investigators also used metabolite rescue experiments, NMR-based metabolite quantifications and 13C tracing, polysomal profiling, and chip sequencing to uncover the specific roles of methionine in AML pathways. In vitro amino acid dropout screens reaffirmed the previous findings on cysteine dependency in AML and also identified methionine as a strong and selective dependence of AML cells. Restricting methionine reduced leukemic burden and prolonged survival in both leukemic cell line experiments and patient-derived xenografts in vivo. The effects of methionine depletion included a reduction in total RNA levels, enhanced apoptosis, and induction of a cell cycle block. In addition, methionine depletion caused defective protein translation in AML cells, which predominantly affected proteins with key functions in survival and proliferation. 
Interestingly, methionine depletion had only a marginal effect on normal HSPCs, with no impact on their in vitro viability or in vivo frequency. To gain a better understanding of the mechanisms governing these phenotypic changes, the authors conducted a series of experiments where they supplemented individual metabolites in methionine-free culture conditions. These experiments demonstrated that replacement of methionine with glutathione, or N-acetylcysteine, could not rescue phenotypes. In fact, S-adenosylithiamine, or SAM, was the only metabolite that rescued the effects of methionine depletion. Since the MAT2A enzyme catalyzes the production of SAM from methionine, the effects of methionine depletion were reproduced when investigators used a specific MAT2A inhibitor, AG270. In vivo experiments revealed that mice tolerated dietary methionine starvation well, and that methionine starvation significantly delayed AML progression in patient-derived xenografts. Since SAM is a universal methyl donor used by multiple histone methyltransferases, the authors looked at changes in histone methylation in cells grown in methionine-free media. They found that methionine depletion had the most effect on reducing H3K36ME3 levels in a SAM-dependent manner, and preferentially in AML cells. Finally, the authors showed that inhibiting the H3K36-specific methyltransferase, SET-D2, reproduces much of the cytotoxic effects of methionine depletion, which may be of interest as a targeted therapeutic approach for AML. Based on these findings, the authors concluded that methionine depletion is a vulnerability in AML that could be exploited therapeutically. In an accompanying commentary, Paolo Gallipoli from Bart's Cancer Institute in London, England, notes that the work by Cunningham and collaborators provides a strong rationale to target methionine metabolism in AML and adds to the growing body of literature demonstrating that metabolism and epigenetic dysregulation are closely linked in cancer. The mechanistic insights from this study indicate that rewired amino acid metabolism plays an important role in aberrant transcription, a hallmark of AML. In terms of the clinical applicability of these findings, Gallipoli notes that human trials of a methionine-restricted diet have shown good tolerability, coupled with a significant reduction in the plasma levels of methionine and related metabolites. The growing body of evidence demonstrating that dietary interventions may be safely and effectively implemented in cancer patients may make a methionine-restricted diet an attractive and less costly therapeutic option. A more conventional approach may focus on targeting the key points in methionine metabolism in AML cells, such as MAT2A and SET-D2, via small molecule inhibitors. Gallipoli concludes that a significant challenge in the clinical implementation of metabolic therapies is the lack of a deeper understanding of how metabolic dependencies turn lethal. Future research in this area should focus on identifying biomarkers of therapeutic responses, with a goal of developing more effective and less toxic targeted metabolic therapies for AML. Next up, we'll discuss an article published in Blood entitled Hypoxia and Low Temperature Upregulate Transferrin to Induce Hypercoagulability at High Altitude by Mei-Chan Li from the Kunming Institute of Zoology, Chinese Academy of Sciences in Kunming, Yunnan Province in China, and colleagues. High altitude exposure is associated with blood hypercoagulation, 
and increased risk of venous thrombosis, pulmonary thromboembolism, mesenteric vein thrombosis, cerebral vein thrombosis, and deep vein thrombosis, or DVT. For example, a recent study found that a one-year stay at high altitude conveys a 30-fold greater risk of thromboembolic events, including DVT and pulmonary embolism. Although many studies to date tried to decipher the causes of high-altitude-induced thromboembolism, the underlying mechanisms remain unclear. Recently, this group of authors identified the plasma iron transport protein transferrin as a prothrombin protein with coagulation-promoting activity. Under normal conditions, transferrin is bound to fibrinogen at a molar ratio of 4 to 1. Under hypoxic conditions, hypoxia-inducible factor 1-alpha, a transcription factor for many genes, including transferrin, becomes activated, causing upregulation of transferrin. It is believed that abnormally upregulated transferrin induces hypercoagulability by interacting with thrombin, factor 12A, and antithrombin, and by inhibiting antithrombin. However, it remains unclear whether the upregulation of transferrin promotes hypercoagulability at high altitudes. To further their understanding, the authors conducted a series of experiments in humans and mice exposed to different altitudes. The concentrations of iron and plasma proteins, including transferrin, fibrinogen, prothrombin, and factor 12A, were determined using standard assays. Activated partial thromboplastin time and prothrombin time were also determined using standard protocols. Mouse models were utilized to study bleeding time, carotid artery thrombosis, deep vein thrombosis, and stroke under hypoxic and low-temperature conditions. Experiments on plasma samples of humans and mice found that the activities of thrombin and factor 12A and the concentrations of transferrin were significantly increased at high altitudes. Furthermore, factors associated with high altitudes, namely hypoxia, or oxygen concentration of 6%, and low temperature, 0 degrees centigrade, caused an increase in the levels of HIF-1-alpha and promoted the expression of the transferrin gene. This, in turn, promoted the transcription of thrombin and factor 12A, thereby inducing hypercoagulability. Experiments in mouse models revealed that intercepting transferrin ameliorates the pathological phenotype and thromboembolic disorders induced by hypoxia and low temperature. Specifically, increased thrombosis in carotid arteries and deep veins, observed in mice kept in hypoxic conditions, was reversed by treatment with transferrin antibodies and peptides that block the binding of transferrin to thrombin and factor 12A. Moreover, ischemic events triggered by hypoxia were also ameliorated in mice in which the transferrin gene was knocked down using a transferrin knockdown virus. The authors concluded that low temperature and hypoxia upregulate the expression of transferrin and promote hypercoagulability, suggesting that targeting the transferrin coagulation pathway may be a novel strategy for combating thromboembolic events caused by high altitude conditions. In an accompanying commentary, Scott Cooper, from the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, notes that the study by Lee and collaborators provides three major advancements in the understanding of altitude-induced thromboembolism. First, it shows a correlation between clotting factor activity and elevated transferrin in people living at high altitudes. Second, it demonstrates that mice kept in hypoxic conditions develop elevated transferrin and coronary thrombi, similar to humans living at higher altitude. And third, 
it shows that the impact of hypoxia on thrombosis in mice can be ameliorated using transferrin-specific antibodies, inhibitory peptides, and transferrin knockdown. Cooper believes that these insights could have applications to other diseases in which hypoxia or low iron levels trigger increased expression of transferrin, increasing the risk of thrombosis. For example, he wonders if targeting the transferrin coagulation pathway could be useful in sepsis patients who have altered iron metabolism, hypoxia, and thrombiformation. COVID-19 patients can have altered transferrin levels and increased risk of thrombosis. Finally, women who take oral contraceptives often have low iron levels and elevated transferrin, putting them at risk of thrombosis. In the final segment of today's podcast, we will discuss the report entitled Leukemia Inhibitory Factor Protects Against Graft-Versus-Host Disease While Preserving Graft-Versus-Leukemia Activity by Jean-Ming Wang from Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and colleagues. Allogeneic bone marrow transplantation, or allo-BMT, can be a curative treatment for many hematologic malignancies. However, the effectiveness of this therapy is often compromised by the development of graft-versus-host disease, or GVHD. Acute GVHD is caused by antigen incompatibility between the transplant donor and recipient. The condition affects up to 70% of all allo-BMT patients and has a mortality rate of between 20% and 75%. The mechanism of GVHD involves donor T-cell-induced damage to the vital organs of the recipient, including the gastrointestinal tract, skin, and liver. The severity and lethality of GVHD is primarily determined by the extent of damage to the GI tract, Research has shown that activated donor T-cells migrate to the GI tract and preferentially invade and damage intestinal stem cells, or ISCs, in the crypt compartment. Leukemia inhibitory factor, or LIF, is a member of the IL-6 family that was originally described and named due to its effects on promoting differentiation of murine myeloid leukemia M1 cells. Subsequent studies revealed that LIF plays essential roles in many processes, including in self-renewal of pluripotent stem cells, maternal reproduction, and tumorigenesis. LIF also exerts significant immunologic effects through dendritic cells, regulatory T-cells, and macrophages to regulate the immune response and inflammation. The authors recently discovered that LIF is essential for intestinal epithelial homeostasis and regeneration by maintaining the number and function of intestinal stem cells and has radioprotective effects on the gut. Considering that both ISC damage and inflammation are involved in the pathophysiology of GVHD, the current study explored whether LIF plays a role in GVHD. The authors conducted a series of experiments in LIF knockout mice where GVHD was induced and found that administering recombinant LIF protein has protective effects on animal gut by reducing the infiltration and activation of donor immune cells. Furthermore, using organoid models, they demonstrated that ISCs were protected by LIF not only from irradiation, but also from interferon gamma-mediated attack. Namely, the authors found that recombinant LIF downregulates the expression of IL-12P40 in recipient dendritic cells after irradiation by activating STAT1 signaling, 
This in turn leads to reduced expression of MHC2 on intestinal epithelial cells, which fuel the gut GVHD process. This then leads to reduced activation of donor T cells and decreased GI injury. Moreover, administration of recombinant LIF led to reduced induction of pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines. Importantly, the graft versus leukemia activity, which is critical to prevent tumor relapse, remained preserved. Taken together, this study uncovers a previously unidentified protective role of LIF in GVHD-induced tissue pathology and points to a potentially novel therapeutic strategy for preventing GVHD without compromising anti-leukemic efficacy. In an accompanying commentary, William Murphy, from the University of California at Davis, California, notes that one of the greatest challenges in allo-BMT is the ability to separate graft-versus-leukemia activity from GVHD. In that respect, Wang and collaborators successfully demonstrated that administration of recombinant LIF in mice can positively affect numerous pathways without compromising anti-leukemic efficacy. Specifically, they showed that treatment with recombinant LIF protects intestinal stem cells, facilitates repair, suppresses inflammation, modulates T-cell function, and possibly contributes to anti-leukemic effects. A molecule with such diverse effects holds many opportunities, not only in allo-BMT, but also in the setting of other cytoreductive conditioning and or immunotherapies. To move these findings to the clinic, Murphy notes that preclinical studies are needed before LIF can be used in allo-BMT. Questions that remain include whether LIF can directly protect other target organs. Can LIF benefit chronic GVHD? What is the window of LIF efficacy? Does it affect donor immune reconstitution? And finally, does protection observed with ISCs from cytoreductive conditioning also affect malignant cells? In other recent studies, antibodies to LIF have been under investigation for their ability to promote anti-cancer immune responses. Since LIF has been shown to promote cancer progression and metastasis across different cancer types, Murphy also notes that future studies should assess the potential direct effects of LIF on the progression of hematologic malignancy, as well as decipher whether immunosuppressive properties of LIF can dampen the graft-versus-leukemia effects in cancers that may not be as immunogenic as those investigated using mouse tumor cell lines. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.